pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is fantastic. I myself should rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Overtime Podcast presented by the Cole Front Report. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Clayton Gary. Find me on, CF, on Twitter at CFR Clayton, and joining me as always. I'm Jeff Uvino. You can find me on Twitter at Real J-U-V-E-I-N-O. And tonight we have a guest. He's one of the two co-hosts of the Cover One Buffalo Podcast, the always knowledgeable and intelligent Greg Tomsett. Greg, how are you tonight? I appreciate it. I, I don't know if I can back up your claims here, but uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate the, uh, the lofty expectations. Lofty expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of lofty expectations, it seems like Bill's Mafia had very high expectations going into this game this week. Because I don't know about you guys, but sitting on Twitter and Facebook, it was just an uproar of just misery. Everybody was just so pissed off. It was, I, I, I was almost dumbfounded by it. I couldn't believe how, how mad people were. Greg, you guys talk about it on your pod this week. What, what did you think about this? It was hard because um, I spent a lot of time trying to calm people down, trying to explain, you know, hey, what were your expectations coming into the season? I even made a, a tweet about it that got some fun attention about, you know, people started out with, oh, I, I think we can beat this six and a half win over. And then all of a sudden, oh, hey, I think this is fun. We might make the playoffs too. What the hell's wrong with these guys? We're not even going to win the Super Bowl. Um, and I just, it's crazy how fast things ratchet up for people. So, on one side, I get it that the people who had it built up that this was our chance to beat Brady in New England and that we were primed to be able to do that. And I wanted to take them down while it mattered at a game in their place and that where it was still him at the peak of his powers. I respect that. And I, I won't take that away from someone who is mad that we didn't accomplish that. Besides that, the game only partially mattered. There wasn't all that much we were going to gain from it. We were in the game. We played well. It was an 11-3 and team on the road, six-and-a-half-point underdogs, greatest quarterback of all time, greatest coach of all time. And then we were at the nine-yard line going in, ready to tie the game. Like, it wasn't like we went in and got our brains beat in. It was a good game. And that, yeah, I would love to have won it, but this weird backlash of, man, see, same old Bills. I can't believe this. No, the same old Bills would have got rolled 42 to 10. This isn't the same old Bills. Like, no, the, the when things were getting away from us in the first half, and at one point, what, Josh had 19 yards passing going into that final drive in the two-minute drill, mm -hmm. that would have been a time where – we would have thrown a pick that they would have taken back for a touchdown or we would have handed it off to just let the clock run out and they would have got the ball back and got a free field goal. And it would have been 17 to three instead of 10 to 10. So um, I think you have to be able to take positives away from that. And I, I totally appreciate the fact that the players won't ever say, you know, there's no moral victories. We need to be able to win that game. That's what they need to say. I, I want that. But for fans watching it yeah that game was better than 42 to 10 and that that was there were positives to be taken from that game absolutely now jeff what were your overall thoughts from this yeah game? and the same old bills also would have gotten steamrolled by baltimore a couple of weeks ago you know i was impressed I, I don't know if i was impressed but i was satisfied with how the bills play you know we, we can use the old adage of if you would have told me before the game blah 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 well if you would have if you would have told me before this game that the bills would have had the ball in the red zone with the chance to tire go ahead under two minutes and you would take that hundred percent, you know, I mean, if, if Ellen hits that throw to Knox at the end of the, at the back of the end zone at the end of the game is a tough throw. But if he hits that, then you're looking at a two point conversion to probably win the game. You know, you have to be satisfied with that. And it's, this team has showed us, I said last week on the pod that they've showed us are different in years past by going out and winning that game in Pittsburgh. You know, that's a game in years past that the bills have lost. And I don't think that's the first occasion this season that we could have said that, you know, a bills win a game that they should have lost. But they've been right there with the best teams in the AFC all season. You know, it's the second time they've lost New England by one possession, both games that they were in. And I think they played the Patriots a lot better the second time than they did the first, whether, you know, the score was about the same. But I thought that they were more in the game. That's, that's just kind of my feel from watching the game. And they lost to Baltimore by one possession. So you can't be upset with your team, you know, giving, giving these other top teams in the league a run, you know, they, they've shown that they can beat the bottom teams or beat the teams that are about similar to them in that five, six, seven 
uh, category, if you will, in the AFC. And they've been right there with the good team. So as a fan, I don't know how much more you can want. Like Greg said, beginning of the season, we were saying, you know, is, can this team win six games? Is it going to be another eight and eight season? I was saying for all of the preseason that this was going to be another seven and nine, nine and seven area type of thing. And so they've shown us, the Bills have shown us that they're better than that and they've earned that respect. So I can't be upset with what happened on Sunday. Right. I think we're all kind of on the same page here. And really the thing that I'm taken aback by is three of their five losses this year have come to by, have come from two of the top three football teams in the league, you know, the new England Patriots twice and the Baltimore Ravens. And in all three of those games, like Jeff mentioned, they were decided by one possession. You know, you are in a position against the Baltimore Ravens to win the game. You are in a position against the Patriots in week four. I think if Josh Allen is in there on one of those four series, you are going to have a much larger chance than you would have with Matt Barkley. And then fast forward to week 16, you are, one, you are on that last possession to beat the New England Patriots. And it just comes down to that last possession. There is a huge difference between Super Bowl contenders and playoff contenders. The Bills are playoff contenders. I wouldn't necessarily say they're Super Bowl contenders yet. They're right there. I think another offseason of acquisitions, solid additions to the team and building off of what they have, the, form, the foundation that they have built over the last three years, then they are going to be right there. I think next year they are just right there. And it's obvious that there is some distance between those upper echelon teams that are going to contend for a Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I think it's it's crazy that, you know, I, I can't tell people how to set their own expectations. I can't tell people not to get more excited as a good season is going on. I can't tell people not to you know, expect more when a team is four and one, when a team is getting into these positions of nine and three and, you know, really exciting things are going on here that that's legitimate. So I, I want to be fair, but now getting to the point where, you know, when you're not beating a team, you know, we just went through a stretch where we played five of the top seven defenses in the NFL. And one of those is Buffalo. So five of the top six other defenses and back to back to back, you're playing Denver, Dallas, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, New England. And we went three and two in that stretch. When you were had all the people that were hammering at us about the cupcake uh, early schedule and the, the paper tigers were not as good as what the record is. It was all of this stuff saying, Oh, just wait until that five game stretch comes. You guys are probably going to go zero and five. We went three and two. So don't get me wrong the two losses were to the two best teams out of the five and they were by one score, but they were legitimate losses. We didn't get, you know, neither of those were games that we should have won and got robbed. You know, it would have been, you know, a, a bit of an effort to be able to come back, but three and two in that stretch is really impressive. 10 and 10 and six or 11 and five. If it's a, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a legitimate 10 and six. If we do lose this final game, we'll get to that in a bit here. But, um, you know, getting to the point where we won 10 of the first 14 games, no one can take that away. So um, I don't fault people for, I guess, having somewhat higher expectations, but this is a positive no matter how things end up for me. Yeah. And I think that the best way to put, to put it about where the Buffalo Bills stand right now is that they're a team that can win a playoff game. They've never been Super Bowl contenders this year. And I think if anyone, thinks that then they're delusional no matter how big of a fan or a or a homer you are they're not Super Bowl contenders but they're not a team that's going to go to the playoffs and and get the crap beat out of them you know they can win a game at Houston they can compete in a game at Kansas City you know they're a team that they're not going to go to the playoffs and say oh we made it blah 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 and lay down and die they're a team that can win a playoff game and I think that they're this is the basis there's so much more room to grow after this but what they've done this season to kind of break out of that um, medi mode of mediocrity that we've seen for so long. It, it's been a good step forward. Now, getting more so into the game and the hows and whys and really how things broke down in this football game and why it ended the way it did. Before I get into the offense, I want to touch on two things that I really liked. I like the deep ball connections by Josh Allen. I thought those were two of his best passes in his career so far. The one to Dawson Knox to the half yard line and the one to John Brown for the 53 yard touchdown. I love the deep ball connection this week. It was I, If you told me going to this game that that was going to be the week that they'd have two of them connect, I would have told, called you a liar. But another thing I liked and I saw throughout the game is they were moving John Brown around the formation to open up areas of the field for Cole Beasley. And that's something that I complained about after the week four game. You saw John Brown line up almost primarily on the outside of the formation, but you saw him moving all over the field in this game and really just changing the look and giving other open areas of the field 
for Cole Beasley, who had a career day in a loss for the Bills. So uh, Cole Beasley had a solid day, and but it was just more or less the same mixed bags of the mixed bag of inefficiencies that continue to plague the offense, and it largely has all season. When the execution wasn't really there, the play calling wasn't really there. When Josh Allen wasn't making a mistake, his offensive line was making mistakes in front of him. It was really just kind of a slow game, and it really didn't feel like they established much of anything in the first half. Yeah, I agree with you that it was a, it was a lot of the same. You know, Allen missed some throws in the first half that you know would have created some more offense and maybe put them over that hump. But I think the thought of it being the same is 17 points has been enough to win a lot of other games this year with how the defensive played. You know, it was it was enough to win at Pittsburgh. You know, that 17 to 20 points is is has been a lot has been enough to win a lot of games and it wasn't this week because you're playing a better team a team that controls the ball you know the Patriots had the ball for the vast majority of the game and they really wore down the Buffalo defense especially when they they gashed them in the first two drives you know the, I mean those first two drives took up the majority of the first 20 minutes of football you know and 17 points wasn't enough and if Dable's game plan is going to be 17 points every week then you know, you can't expect to win a playoff game. I get that they're, they've been playing some good defenses, but that's what you're going to see in the playoffs too. So I think if Allen hits some of those throws in the first half like he did in the second half, then we're looking at a different game. However, I'm not, you know, tearing down Josh Allen and saying he's got to hit all of those throws. I think it's fair to say he hit about half of them. You know, would you guys say he probably hit half of the big throws that he yeah. attempted to miss, he missed half. And, and if that's where he's at right now, then I'm fine with that. You know, I'm, 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 I like to see him making – taking those chances, excuse me. And if he hits on half of them, then, you know, that's, that's better than not taking those chances and not having those, those big plays. I think it's important to look at the progression he's made as well. In, yeah. He opened up what over his first 20 or over his first 21 throws of 30 plus yards down the field. And now he's hit four of them in the past three games. I think uh, two of them here against the best secondary in the NFL, one of them against the best corner in the NFL um, and to be able to make progress there is encouraging. Now, you know, a couple of those throws, if he could have connected on one of those throws to Dawson Knox in the end zone, it would have been awful nice. You know, there were a couple throws that, you know, we had some, you know, easy opportunities to convert on a couple of those drives where he was off off base. And, and a lot of that was him not keeping good footwork, him not being sound in his platform. Those are things that can be corrected and worked on, but it's frustrating that he hasn't been able to do that yet. So um, I, I'd, I'd like to see more, but anyone who doesn't see uh, legitimate progress and improvement from Josh as this season has gone along. Um, I think is kidding themselves. Look at the, the games. You're talking about a game where he was absolutely horrible in that week four matchup getting, you know, just lambasted back and forth, three picks, a fumble, terrible decisions over and over again to a game where he had over 200 yards passing, two touchdowns, no turnovers, a couple of killer throws and the the two that get the most attention are the the goal line pass at the end of the first half to not Knox and the 53-yard touchdown to uh John Brown but a couple of those throws to Cole Beasley were ridiculous um and that you know it was a phenomenal performance overall from that standpoint he was you know on both sides of the coin probably the reason that we weren't in the game earlier from some inconsistency but he was the only reason we were in the game later because of hitting some ridiculous throws. So um, that's something that I'm comfortable, you know, taking solace in that we're trending the right direction and that, yes, we weren't ready to beat a team with, again, the GOAT coach and the GOAT quarterback um, in their house, but we gave them everything that they could handle and we're heading a much different direction than they are. And that last drive that Allen led, that really opened up a lot of eyes for people that might not watch the bills that much or, or might not know about the progression that Josh Allen has made this season because they haven't been watching him, watching him as closely as people like us have. If you don't watch the bills every week, I think that that last drive, he, he he got the bills back into the game. You know, he made some great plays, both great throws on the run. And then that quarterback sneak where he ran into a wall and then scooted around the left side to pick that up. That I mean, that was, he made a similar play like that against Dallas. You know, those are those are great plays. And I think that that last drive really sold a lot of people um, on Josh Allen. And I know that I'm sure Allen doesn't really care that much about, you know, selling himself to, to the national media or whatever fans. I, I, I said that um, 
last week after he uh, led the drive against uh, against Pittsburgh to win the game that I don't think Allen really cares. But for what it's worth, you know, I think that the last couple weeks with the Bills in the spotlight, some of their guys have gotten a chance to show that, you know, they can play at as high of a level as some of the teams and players that get talked about more. You know, you look at his growth overall this season, comparing year two to year one. I think if you look at just everything with face value, the number, the, the, just the stats, 3,600 total yards combining passing and rushing, 29 total touchdowns, nine interceptions. All those numbers are things that we all would have been fine with in August, regardless if the Bills had won 10 games or not. That's something that I personally put on Twitter, and I said people need to keep things in perspective. That's just – it's growth from Josh Allen. And it, people need to realize that it's not often the case where you can develop a young, raw quarterback while also winning games at the same time. Yeah, you look at – I mean, I, I think you guys might have seen the uh, the comparison uh, chart that I did and put out that had the, you know, 16-game – projection if uh yep. if josh had played all 16 games last year and what his pace was this year you know and you're talking seven eight percentage uh point climb and uh completion percentage improvement in literally every measurable category touchdown rate interception rate yards touchdowns uh turnover worthy throws the the whole thing um while still maintaining a really impressive uh running uh, approach in that you know probably a little bit better in finding high leverage plays to do that so not as much gross yardage but just as many third downs picked up more rushing touchdowns um and being able to put together a really impressive season so um it needs to continue he's not good enough yet to carry this team he's not good enough yet to be a franchise quarterback but if he can continue on this trajectory and the trend that he showed, there's a really, really encouraging future. So um, he's not there yet. He needs to show more, but he's certainly shown enough for me to be excited for next season. Now, before we move on, I wanted to touch on the lack of success on first and second down. And that's how really how all of this started for this bill's offense. They were two for 11 on third down and a majority of them were third down and 10 or longer. Now, while Josh Allen has been very efficient in those situations compared to other quarterbacks, it's just not a favorable position. And when you're going up against the best defense in football, more times than not, you're not going to be successful. And actually the bills converted zero third downs when they face a third down of longer than six yards. And that's just the, the bills have an offense where you can't really get behind the chains. You can't really take those dumb boneheaded penalties. You can't really, get sacked for a loss of 10 yards while Josh Allen on more occasions than not, I feel can make up for that with a big play on second or third down against a defense of this caliber. It's just, it's not going to be good enough on that given day. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I think the tough part is we're expecting that to be our decision and what the bills are causing. And I think one of the big things that people maybe missed in this game plan was Bill Belichick and their approach of, you know, every week, oh, we're going to take away your number one weapon. I think a lot of people defaulted to that being John Brown. And I actually think it was significantly stacking the box and spying Devin Singletary. And that when they went through there, we didn't give a single carry to Frank Gore. We, you know, Devin Singletary played every single snap except for two in this game. Um, he was the motor of this offense, like he has been in in this you know late late season stretch, and he was the focus of the Patriots defense. It was that hey, we're going to bet that Josh Allen can't beat us, and he almost did. He almost came back and hit enough of those dagger throws to dig themselves out of it. But Josh is still at the point where he needs that balanced approach. He needs you know second and six. He needs third and three, where then his threat of running is a lot more valuable. And it's not him picking up twelve yards on third and sixteen. Um, it's him converting third and three with a six yard run, um, and having those options to be there. And that you know you know hat hats off to to Belichick and, and his scheme and his ability to do that. Um, he's the greatest defensive game planner in NFL history, um, but. Unfortunately, he took away Devin Singletary and, and, and did that uh, in, in this game. And I think that put us in those those positions. So I'm often accused of being a um, Brian Dable apologist, uh, and I probably am to some extent. Um, but he, did, he didn't game plan for that. He didn't choose to, to do that. He, he went up head-to-head -head against uh, Bill, you know, Bill Belichick and lost, just like Sean McVay did, just like Andy Reid has, just like every other offensive genius that isn't smart enough to outsmart the greatest football savant that ever lived. 
And I think that also shows why establishing the run game is so important and why the Bills should continue to try to do that because establishing the run game sets up those third and, third and shorts. You know, if you, if you try to throw the ball in early downs, then you set yourself up for, for third and long. And, and I like the point that you made about Allen's legs coming into play on third and short. You know, if you, you get him out into space, if they're going to keep a spy on him, then that's one less guy that's, that's out in coverage that can open up a receiver. And if they're not going to put a spy on, then he can, he can run for it. And, and, you know, I think Clayton and I have talked a lot on this pod about establishing the run game and that the bills really need to do that. Because I think in, in previous seasons, this decade, the bills, the trademark of their offense has been running the ball. You know, they've had LaShawn McCoy for the last however many years and they, and they've, they've ran the ball well in other seasons. And I like seeing Singletary more, I, you know, nothing against Frank Gore. I like Frank Gore in the game. He, he, runs for hard yards he he always moving forward but I like how Singletary has played and I think he's a good young back and and I like seeing him in the game and I hope that they continue to try to establish that I mean who knows what they're gonna do this week against the Jets whether how often how much they play people or if they're gonna try some things out I mean you don't want to show your hand before the playoffs but if you're gonna try something new on offense this is the time to do it this game doesn't matter I felt that the inefficiencies in the run in the rushing attack was primarily due to being uh, to, to the offensive line losing at the point of the attack. I thought that that front for the New England Patriots outplayed them from the start to finish, and that's not some sort of knock on the Bills' offensive line. They've been pretty good this season, and there's not going to be many de- teams in football that are going to go against that defensive front for the New England Patriots and have their best day. You won't see that at all this season. Maybe against maybe when they play the Ravens, but other than that, you won't see it almost at all, but you touched on Frank Gore not having any carries in this game. And I was kind of disappointed by that, to be honest, because Frank Gore had his best game of the season against the New England Patriots in week four, and it felt like they kind of struggled with that pace of Frank Gore. And I felt like rush, running the football and attacking their rush defense was going to be the best plan of attack in establishing the game from the start against the Patriots. Yeah, I think there's a very simple explanation for that personally, and it's 3921. Do you know what 3921 is? That's the time of possession difference in this game. Uh, I don't think that the Bills came in with a plan to dress Frank Gore and have him play zero snaps. I think the fact that they ran 68 offensive plays to R48 um, and had the ball for 39 minutes and we had the ball for 21 minutes, I think that that dictated itself in that any of the times where they probably would have been in a rhythm and would have gotten into that set of, you know, pretty steady two-thirds to one-third the last while here, they had been off the field for so long that Singletary was fresh again, and they said, well, we need our most dangerous weapon out there. Let's get him back out there. Um and I, I really think that dictated a, a lot of it. I don't think the plan was for Gore to get zero snaps. I think it just kind of happened because of what the uh, Patriots dictated. But either way, it wasn't what I wanted to see. I like the two-thirds to one-third. I'm a big fan of maybe trying to upgrade Frank Gore next year and find a, a, a fresher set of legs. But that same in-between-the-tackles thumper that can be a balance for Devin Singletary. And I think Singletary can be a guy who – can carry the ball half to two thirds of the time for a good offense going forward, but he's not going to be some Ezekiel Elliott, you know, type of franchise back. That's going to be able to handle 30, 35 touches. We need another guy to be able to do that. And I expected that to be Gore in this game. And I, I have to assume that they did as well. It just kind of got away from them as the uh, game script ran off. Clayton, I know who you want to run between the tackles, TJ Yeldon. Suit yeah. him up. That was my, ne- that was Suit my next up. question. That was my next question. Come for on. Is well, honestly, it has to. I agree with Greg that it obviously it wasn't the plan to not give Frank Gore zero carries in this game. And the frustrating thing is, is TJ Yeldon was the best playmaker against this team in Week Four, aside from Frank Gore. I thought the best receiving weapon, if you will. And he hasn't been active since the Bills visited the Titans. And Greg, seems like an eternity ago. It is. It does seem like an eternity ago. Almost over ten weeks. Was that even this season? Right. I, I just. It's confusing to me as to why they don't activate TJ Yeldon. And Greg, I want to hear what you have to think, what you, your thoughts are on how he hasn't been activated all season. And I feel he could be a tremendous asset for this passing offense and Josh Allen and giving him an outlet back on those third downs where he oftentimes gets blitzed a lot. 
I think the the couple things you have to keep in mind are in that week four game, you had some pretty good production from Gore and some nice passing game production from Yeldon. The things that you don't realize are that you know what's going to happen when those guys are in the game. There's not a lot of mystery. You're not concerned about covering Gore out of the backfield. You're not concerned about the number of men in the box when TJ Yeldon's in the backfield. Um, and you don't know that when Singletary's there. So strategically, I get it. I understand that. Now, you know, do I think that we would be better off sitting our ninth DB and having that option in the game of TJ Yeldon? Yes. I, I think that in a game like this, that would have been more beneficial late in the game when we knew we were in catch-up mode to have an option to rotate and keep Singletary fresh that wasn't Gore but could contribute in the passing game. So I think it could have helped. I get it strategically that they're not um, versatile enough weapons to be able to keep the defense guessing so that you don't want to tip your hand by having one of them in the game. So there, that's also a reason, you know, people go nuts about, Oh, why isn't Duke Williams playing more? And that, you know, different things like that, that just because you have one specific skill set, if that's only going to contribute on one or two snaps a game and you can't do anything else the rest of the time, it, you can't afford to waste a 46 man, you know, active game day roster spot there. And then if, Sonoris Perry is playing 20 special team snaps. That's more valuable than Yeldon in, in that sense. So um, I still think there's a way to maneuver that. And I, I wouldn't have minded finding that, whether that's sitting a Lee Smith, sitting a Dean Marlowe, sitting someone like that to be able to get another weapon out there. I wouldn't mind the idea, but strategically I get it that when you have these one trick ponies, which I kind of think Gore, Yeldon, Duke Williams are all very similar in that sense, even Robert Foster, but Foster is the difference that let's use Robert Foster as a perfect example. He's also a one trick pony from an offensive skill set standpoint. He can run a fly route. That's about it. However, he's turned himself into a pretty dang good special teams gunner and that he's getting some high leverage special team snaps that's not something Yeldon's done. That's not something Duke Williams has done. That's not something that Frank Gore can do. Um, so he's at least getting that active game day roster spot because of that. And that's really the the single difference between him and some of those other guys who maybe have that one singular skill set but aren't versatile. Now, I want to talk about the clock management in this game by, on the offensive side of the ball. But before we do that, I want to ask each of you your satisfaction level with the Bills offensive coordinator. Jeff, I want to start with you. From a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with Brian Dable? Wow. I was not, expected, not expecting that question. Like for the whole season or just this week? Entirely. I'm going to talk a bit, and then that will lead me to my answer because I don't really know it right now. So I, I think that they definitely made strides over the season. You know, from where they were at the beginning of the year, from where they are now, I think they look better. You know, the, the, I think the game plan has been more complete for the Bills offense. And I think that Allen's improvement really, you know, you have to give some of the credit to the offensive coordinator because that's who works, who works the closest with them other than maybe the quarterback's coach or whatever. But also, you can't discredit that they've been playing better defenses the second half of the year too. You know, so we're not – it's not like we're seeing that improvement from they're playing – good defenses at the beginning of the year. Now they're playing bad defenses. So of course they look better. It's, you know, they've progressed and their, their opponent level is also, is also progressed. I, I drew a point there, but um, I almost said regressed, but so I'm going to give him, you know, we, we really crapped on him a lot in the beginning of the year. We were really mad at him for like the first half of the season. And, um, and then he, he's gotten better, so I'm going to give him a six and a half. Six and a half for Dable. I think that's fair. You know, I think anything less than a five would be unfair considering the progression that Allen has made and, and the progression the offense have made, but he's, he's never wowed us. You know, they've never had a wow game plan. I mean, they don't usually score over 20 points. I think that's very fair. I actually think that's probably about right, and I, I would have toggled between a six and a seven. There's a couple things that – I struggle with the chicken or the egg of how much is the limitations of the talent, skill set, time to gel of the offensive pieces limiting Brian Dable versus 
how much is Dable concerned about those things and not calling plays to push the envelope and push them out of the comfort zone to see what they're capable of? And is he deciding ahead of time not to call things that he might if he had a more seasoned, more experienced offensive group? And I don't know the answer to that. And that's the reason that I'm not higher on the scale is that I would have liked earlier in the season for a little bit more push. But I'll bring up two plays that I think a lot of fans, especially the fired Dable pitchfork people, um, to the game-winning touchdown to uh, Tyler Croft against the Steelers and the tackle-eligible touchdown at the end of the half to Deion Dawkins. Those two plays are single-handedly Brian Dable, calling those at the perfect time, executing that, tricking the other team to phenomenal defenses, knowing he had them against the Steelers. He put all three offensive receivers off to the left, knew that was going to isolate Mark Barron in coverage. They don't like to put Barron in coverage. He knew if he got the three receivers on the other side, he could do that. Got them into a spot where he pulled the receiver in, knew it was going to make the safety have to check and keep an eye on him, and that if Croft broke out, Barron could not keep up with him, and he designed that touchdown and was able to get that for us. The same thing going against somebody like his, you know, mentor and then a guy he spent for, you know, a decade with in Belichick, he know you can't just throw regular razzle dazzle at him. They had two different offensive linemen declare eligible on that play, which you almost, I, I don't honestly recall ever seeing. I don't know that I've ever seen a sixth and a seventh offensive lineman both declare eligible have them offset to the right where Dawkins is off there to the left, and then he was embarrassingly wide open on one of the most prepared defenses in the NFL. Those are both exclusively on him that he did that. So those are critical downs, huge moments, unbelievably well-prepared, talented defenses, and he schemed those touchdowns for us. So, you know, I, I think there's things I would like to see more of. I actually think we're in a pretty nice sweet spot that I think he did well enough to need to what be welcomed and want to have him back next year, but not so well that he got himself a head coaching job that we have to start over again with the new offensive coordinator. So I, th I think we landed like right in a nice sweet spot where we're going to have him back. We're going to have Dorsey back. We're going to have most of this coaching staff back. I don't know that there's anyone that I'm pounding the table to get rid of. Um, and that I think we're going to be in a pretty good spot and are then going to have whatever 20 of 22 starters and 25 of our top 30 contributors are back next year, plus the draft picks and the the free agent capital. Um, so I, I would give Dable that same area, six or seven. I think six and a half is just right. Um, there's a couple of things I wouldn't mind seeing more of, but in general, uh, I think he's been better than most people have given him credit for, been out to get him. And I think it happens all the time. Because I, I rally, I rail against the Madden people all the time and that everybody thinks they're an offensive coordinator. Everybody thinks they that do. they can, everyone thinks they can play call and know exactly what play would have worked if I had called it. Um, and I think people have no idea how incredibly hard that is and how intelligent the other guys on the other side are. And that I think he's done a very good job in, in the vast majority of the season. And it's not a simple, but it's easier for us to tell ourselves that I could have called plays than it is for me to say I could have ran that fly route because we know <laughs> we couldn't have ran the fly route. Yeah. We know we couldn't have outran the corner, but we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves we probably could have called a better play. So I actually think there's a weird, you know, uh, internal, you know, thing that fans have that the reason we go after the coordinators and the play callers all the time is because we lie to ourselves and tell us we could have done it. And to bring up a third play real quick, the John Brown passing touchdown against Dallas, the trick play. Perfect yep. time to pull the trigger yep. on that. He, I'm sure they were sitting on that all season, waiting for the time to call it. It wasn't too soon. It wasn't too late. Perfect time to pull the trigger on that. So that was a moment that impressed me. Great. Now, before, before we wrap up this discussion and get Greg on out of here, it's the holidays. Everybody's pretty busy. <laughs> before, before he leaves, I want to thank you for making time for us. You've ventured all the way from Atlanta to Buffalo to see your family on Christmas, and you made time to join us on the podcast. I want to thank you very much. You want to tell everybody, before you get out of here, please tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, no, come on over, check us out at CoverOne.net. We have a lot of fun. Uh, we've gotten into a lot of fights on Twitter lately, so uh, oh. appar apparently we're some feisty people. Uh, but coming over – 
come on over and find us. You can find me at Greg Thompson, G-R-E-G-T-O-M-P-S-E-T-T. Uh, you can find the rest of our crew, Aaron and Eric over there running the cover one uh, handle. So we have a lot of fun with everybody. Like to follow back Bills fans and, and enjoy uh, our interaction. But yeah, we've gotten feisty the, the last couple of days here. It's been entertaining, but uh, I've seen it. We're, we're, we're there to keep the people entertained. It's what we do. Entertaining is a perfect definition for cover one. And he didn't touch on it, but I will. Be sure to subscribe to their premium Slack channel. I joined this Slack channel a little over a year ago. And while I'm not very active in it anymore, I still keep up with it. I still check it all the time because there is just so much knowledge oozing in those conversations. There's so much things being talked about. I have a very busy schedule myself and I don't really have time to engage in there, but it is very fun to read it. Go check out their website. Go check out their video breakdowns. All these guys know what they're doing. They're very good at what they do as individuals. They're all very talented and knowledgeable. And personally, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice as a fan to not be listening to these guys on a weekly basis as you become a smarter fan on a week-to-week basis. That means a lot, man. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Greg. I want to wish you you and your family a happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. Safe jet venture back to Atlanta when it's time for you to go back home. And, well, go Bills. Have a great night, guys. Merry Christmas. You too. You too. Thanks. Now, I want to touch on Brian Dable. And I'm at a five. I think five is more than fair compared to some levels of where I was at in other areas of the season. Greg and Jeff made both very fair points of three excellent play calls, excellent time play calls. The one I had burning in my mind was the one Jeff brought up was Dallas call. I thought it was the perfectly timed call to run that trick play because I mentioned it on that podcast talking about the Dallas Cowboys game was that was right after Josh Allen had picked up the ball and trucked through a linebacker in safety and picked up a first down. Put yourself on that defense. You are deflated. You are defeated. And it's not really easy standing on that side of the field anymore. And, oh, shoot, we just had John Brown run around us and throw a touchdown. Well, damn. And things like that happen. But there are just little nuances of the game that I feel Brian Dable as a coach he is lacking a bit. And I think that is more than fair to say. And the number one thing I'm going to bring up, I, I can sit here and talk blue in the face about vanilla play calling, this, that, and the third. Greg did an excellent job explaining why I have been wrong on many podcasts about bad play calling. And here I'm going to point out clock management. And this clock management, my God, I could feel my hairline receding in the process of watching this atrocious clock management. The first instance I want to bring up is in the first half. The Bills get the ball back with 133 left in the first half. And if I'm, if I'm the Bills, I run the ball in the first play. And to do that is to get the clock running. Worst case scenario, you know, maybe you get tackled for a loss. And, or you get tackled at the line of scrimmage. You don't know what's going to happen there. I think you dial up one of your best running plays on first and 10 and see what happens from there. Get the clock running. And – my train of thought on this drive is to limit the possession for the Patriots. Don't, don't allow them to have the ball again. Don't allow them to have another possession at the end of the half. And that's exactly what ended up happening. As Josh Allen threw an incomplete pass to Cole Beasley, he took a sack for a loss of eight. He went to call the timeout. And a false start on Singletary led to third and 22 and a draw and a gain of 11. New England called another timeout, and they took over at the 49-yard line with a minute eight left in the game. That ate 25 seconds of game clock. That's just not good enough. If this is the Patriots offense of old, that could go very badly. That won't go in your favor. It is no longer 10-3 to at that point. It is 17-3 when the Patriots are potent and when they have prime Tom Brady. Now, obviously, that's neither here or there because the Brady, or Tom Brady and the New England Patriots aren't what they once were. But they are still potent and a threat at that. And the second instance I want to bring up is in the third, in the fourth quarter, rather, the Patriots had just kicked a field goal to have the def, trim the deficit to one point. So the Bills are up 17 to 16, and they get the ball back with 10:45 left in the game. Now I agreed with the start of the plan of attack. They ran the ball with Singletary, and he got a one-yard gain. But then they went to the passing attack, and the worst thing that could have happened, actually, no, it probably wouldn't have been the worst thing because the worst thing that could have happened would be, be an interception. But situationally speaking Josh Allen takes a sack for a loss of six and that's not good because now you are in third and 15 and he throws an incomplete pass and New England takes back takes the ball with 902 left in the game trailing 17 16 
And I'll talk about the defense and what happened on that side of the ball in a minute. But New England marches down the field and score and takes the go-ahead score. That was an instance of very bad clock management. And it's those small, nuanced, elementary things that I feel Brian Dable struggles with that I feel he can learn as time goes on. But at the same time, this isn't the first time he's calling plays in the NFL. This isn't the first time he's a play caller at a collegiate or professional level. So I'm not sure how much promise I have for Brian Dable to correct his small elementary issues because it seems as if those issues have never been corrected. You know, and talking about just the Patriots game, every time people bring up little things like that, it makes me think, is is that all part of Bill Belichick's plan? Like, is he like is he yes. planning on that to happen? <laughs> and it's the littlest things. But you think Belichick is such a damn mastermind at, at planning and everything that you think is that just a byproduct of what Belichick and his crew is planning? And and I I don't think that you're giving Dable a five is wrong. You know, I think that would be on the lower end of what I would give him. Lowest of me would probably be five, whereas I might go seven my highest. I know I said six and a half, but I'd give him – I think that what bumps me up from a five is the progression of Josh Allen this okay. season. But other than that, I think it's very fair. You know, you know, I mean, we. I think we all can agree, and I think Greg would agree with this too, that it, the play calling in the Bills offense has not been at the level that we want it to be mm-hmm. as fans. And there's going to come a time in Josh Allen's career where he's not going to need an elite play caller. He's not going to need a solid play caller as well. We all hope to see him develop and reach that peak of his development, but there are just issues with Brian Dable. And I'm not saying fire Brian Dable. I'm not saying it this week. I've said it in other weeks, but what I will say is you touched on Jeff the growth and the strides that Josh Allen has taken this season. We talked about it earlier in the show. I feel that a lot of teams that are needy for a head coach, they're thinking they're going to hire a head coach. And a lot of those head coaches are going to maybe even a defensive coach. If a defensive coach gets hired, they're going to look for a young offensive minded offensive coordinator. And that's where my concern for Ken Dorsey possibly being picked for, for a respective team's offensive coordinator comes in. Because it's not fair to say that the growth of Josh Allen has no credit due to Brian Dable. That is not fair. That is an extremity. And as much as I have harped on Brian Dable, I won't go as far to say that. He has certainly played a role in the development of Josh Allen. But so has quarterbacks coach Ken Dorsey, who was the quarterbacks coach for Cam Newton in his MVP season. Now you look at the two seasons compared to each other, obviously one player is an MVP, but Josh Allen's not that far off. It's not crazy to think that the growth from Josh Allen has been so significant this year. I wouldn't be shocked to see Brian Dable or shocked to have seen Josh Allen play Brian Dable into a head coaching job, or at least consideration. Same being said for Ken Dorsey as the NFL has, as a whole has taken a turn to go to offensive minded coaches, more or less. I can see the Browns hiring uh, Brian Dable. Holy shit. I hope I see that. <laughs> or the Redskins. You know, or I the Redskins. see that. Yeah, it, it's Allen. Allen might be a late bloomer. You know, I mean, I mean, people want to talk about how great Lamar Jackson has been, and deservingly so. But if, but if Allen continues to develop and gets to that level later in his career, then then you have to give credit to all the people that have helped him get there. You know, and and Ken Dorsey and Brian Dable are have will need to give them as much credit as anyone else because they're the people that work with him the closest. Right. You know, and, and they should be credited for that. And when Greg was on, he said 39-21. And 39-21 is really the reason why this game was 24-17. Yeah. It was. That being the time of possession, and that's really where I want to start off with the defense. This defense, my God, they went through the gauntlet. And sometimes it was due to their own inefficiencies. But like you touched on in an earlier point, Jeff, it seemed like the, pill, the Bills were playing into the Patriots' hand on both sides of the ball. It seemed like the Bills' lack of aggression and almost conservative play calling on the defensive side of the ball is exactly what the Patriots wanted them to do. Honestly, when I watched this game, I felt like this is what the game would have looked like in week four. Going into that game, this is exactly what I thought I would see. I thought I would see the New England Patriots attack the Bills 
and their run defense because that's where the team has been relatively the weakest on that side of the ball. I thought that's what we were going to see in week four, but the Bills' aggressive game plan almost neutralized that. And I felt that the Bills' lack of success on the defensive side of the ball on first and second down is really what killed them in this football game. Now, when you go look at the team stats and the box scores on ESPN or whatever source that you go to, you will see the Patriots converted seven of their 14 third downs. Now, those outlets do not count third downs that are uh, elevated by penalty. But one of them were. It was third and three, and Trey White was called for kind of a ticky-tacky holding call on Nikhil Harry, but it was a first down nonetheless. So I'm technically speaking, I'm saying the Patriots went eight for 15 on third down in this game. And the weird thing is, is that a lot of these third downs were in short yarded situations. The success on first and second down played into the sustainable drives that, these new, that the New England Patriots had. And get this. 11 of their 15 third downs were of the variety of third and less than six. They went nine for 11 on those third downs. Only four of those third downs were of the variety of three third and more than six. They were 0 for four. Going into this game, I felt the biggest key for the Bills defense was to have success on first and second down. And ultimately, I believe it's what killed this defense. And I will say, though, the Bills' defense got better as the game went on. You know, I, the the Patriots converted each of their five first down – or third downs, excuse me. They are five for five on their first five third down conversions. And after that, you know, they slowed down a little. You know, it seemed earlier in the game that the Bills were never going to get a stop on third down because the Patriots would, would wear them down. It'd be third and two, third and three. The first two drives, they absolutely ran it down their throats. Um and it was good to see defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier make some adjustments later into the game and, and you know, kind of put a stop to that onslaught. Because if the Patriots offense had kept going like it had in the first two drives, who knows how much they – who knows how long they would have had the ball. Like, I mean, 40 minutes is a lot. It could have been more than that if they would have kept rolling like they were in those first two drives. But the Bills kind of put their foot down, and that's another mark – of a good team. And that's what I've liked out of the bills. The same thing as Josh Allen leading them down the field to, to, you know, come back and try to tie that game. They didn't just lay down and die. Same thing with the defense. They got, they got the hell beat out of them in the first quarter and they came back and they, they improved. And that was, that was um, encouraging for me. We know how tough it is to play at Gillette stadium and to really put up that fight and play with them for 60 minutes. You know, that was, that was enough for me this week. Obviously you want them to win, but that's enough for me. And, you know, the optimistic fan that has watched this team beat the hell out of the Bills for 20 years, the easy thing to say is, oh, Brady, he's 42 years old. Beat the shit out of this old man. That's the easy thing to say for every Bills fan. But, no, that is the greatest quarterback of all time standing back there. And mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to admit that, even on a Bills podcast. That is the greatest quarterback to ever do it right there. You're right. And You're, you're 100% right. The thing is, hold on a second. You're 100 percent right, but and the, the thing is that to, to you're not only facing Tom Brady, you're facing Josh McDaniels and everything he has. You're facing Bill Belichick. We've already talked about his game planning and all of those facts. You're facing Gillette Stadium, and you know to put up a fight in that and and to be able to to play with them for 60 minutes. That's why I'm being quote unquote apologetic for the Bills this week. That's why I said in the beginning of the show, they lost by one possession. They lost to Baltimore by one possession. I remember Greg said, you know, if this was the same old Bills team, it, they'd get them and get slaughtered 42 to 10, you know, and, right. and they didn't do that. They've played with the good teams. And that's why I think they're there. You know, they're not a Super Bowl contender, but they're a team that can win playoff games. And that's and- enough for me right now. After, you know, everything, this journey we've been on the whole season with this podcast and watching this team where that, where they've come has been, satisfactory as a Bills fan. That's a good word. And before we move on to our game preview, there's a few things I'd like to touch that I saw on the defensive side of the ball. First of all, Trey White not being on Julian Edelman was a huge mistake. Huge. Yeah, Yeah, I wondered why that was was a thing. And if if I'm the defensive coordinator, typically it's something you don't really have to worry about with the Bills defense and having Leslie Frazier and having Sean McDermott, two guys that have defensive backfield backgrounds. And if I'm in this game, none of those receivers really scare me. 
you know, Nikhil Harry, he, he showed flashes of potential. And if I'm in this game, I'm matching up Nikhil Harry with Kevin Johnson. I'm put, I, and I'm putting Trey White on Julian Elliman, and I'm taking my chances with Levi Wallace going up against Muhammad Sanu. And that's the plan all damn day. All damn day. And another thing I saw was the offensive formations for the New England Patriots having multiple tight ends, throwing in their linebacker that's playing fullback for some damn reason. And, you know, it, it forced Lorenzo Alexander to play more snaps in this game than I'm sure their coaches wanted him to play. You know, we're in week 16. Or they were, were, they were in week 16. And this is a game where they were out-possessed 39 minutes to 21. And Lorenzo Alexander was on the field a majority of the game. That 36-year-old linebacker that may have a motor that doesn't stop, he was slowing down because he is, he's, he's old and he is, he is tired. That's going to happen. And that's what led to him missing the tackle on, four, on third and goal to Rex Burkhead that inevitably was the lead-taking touchdown. And I think that there was an obvious difference when Edelman on, was on the field from when he wasn't. You know, you could really tell the Patriots defense or the Patriots offense, excuse me, was that much more deadly. They had that much more, you know, going for them when he was on the field that he was an X factor for them. And when he was hurt for however long, their their offense kind of slowed down. And, and it makes you wonder why Trey White wasn't on him. I'm, I'm sure McDermott must have been asked that, or maybe Leslie Frazier must have been asked, asked that after the game. I didn't see, I didn't see that, that press conference. I, 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 I didn't know. I would have asked that if I was in there. And the last thing I want to wrap up the defensive conversation with this. We have talked just about every week about signing Shaq Lawson or Jordan Phillips. And in this game, I think you saw the separation. I think you saw Shaq Lawson, who has consistently been the best defensive lineman on the team every single week this season, have another game where that is the case. And I think you saw a game on a big stage against a big team where Jordan Phillips just disappeared. You know, we can say everything we want to about Jordan Phillips having nine and a half sacks, but let me ask you this. How many of those sacks do you think Ed Oliver was on the field where he is going to see the double team? How many of those sacks do you feel Shaq Lawson's on the field where a de- uh, offense has to account for him because he has been wrecking game plans in the running game and passing game? Jordan Phillips, I'm saying it right now, you cannot resign this guy. I just, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the thing where he played 12 games for the Bills last year and didn't do diddly squat. I'm not buying the thing where he walks into this season and you know, it's great. We like seeing these players that come to Buffalo and they embrace the city, they embrace Bill's Mafia. But, folks, this might sound a little bit pessimistic. Get used to it, okay? This team has a bright future. You look at the foundation that the general manager and head coach have built. And I'm telling you right now, the winning is just starting. The winning is literally just starting. These guys are going to come into Buffalo. They're going to embrace the city. They're going to gladly take the paychecks from Brandon Bean, and they're going to play their asses off with what I hope to be the, suit, the, the franchise quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Get used to these players uh, rejoicing with Bills Mafia. Get used to these players loving Bills Mafia because the winning is just starting and the acquisitions are just coming. Well, if that's not a way to take us into our Jets preview, then I don't know what is. That was, that was inspiring to me listening to that. That was great. I agree with you. I, I think that it's tough to, to notice. It's tough for the average fan to notice when – defensive linemen are, are or aren't having a good game interior defensive linemen you know not guys who go and sack the quarterback who pass rush but I think for me this is the first game all year where I saw a noticeable difference where Shaq Lawson played well and Jordan Phillips didn't you and I both played defensive line in our playing days we did the one thing they teach you is to stay home have discipline and that's exactly what Jordan Phillips doesn't have mm-hmm. this guy I understand he does that shit where he tries to jump the snap. And, and he, it, got an, he got an encroachment for it. It worked twice this year. Yeah. It's worked twice. Okay? Like, I get it. Okay? I've never personally tried jumping snaps. I just relied on my natural quickness because I had that. Maybe the 340-pound 6'6 defensive tackle doesn't. But what I am saying is he's inconsistent. He takes himself out of the running lanes way too much. He, take, he virtually takes himself out of the play. He runs so far upfield that the running back is six yards past him and running through the, the, the hole that he left in the defense. Because at that point, Tremaine Edmonds is getting a blocker in his face because Jordan Phillips is six yards upfield. 
laying with his face in the dirt, wondering where the ball, ball carry is as he runs for a four-yard gain. You see it on a weekly basis. And yes, I understand he makes splash plays. Yes, I understand he has nine and a half sacks. But folks, Stanley Tule has three sacks this year. You want to know the difference? Stanley Tule has three cleanup sacks. Jordan Phillips has nine and a half. Yeah, and and I think that that this is a conversation we can come back to after the season about re-signing these guys and, and how they play in the postseason will will also tell a lot. But I think I will say Lawson had a good game yesterday, and he's a guy who I hadn't really been too big on earlier in the year. That'll dictate a lot of it for me. But with that, let's get into our New York Jets preview. And my God, I don't know if I said it the last time we did this because that was the first pod that Jeff Uvino and I recorded a podcast was the preview for the New York Jets. It has been a long time. It has been a long season. This team has won more games than a lot of people expected. They're right on my expectation level. I thought, I thought high end, they'd win 10, 11 games. Low end, they'd win eight or nine. So with that, I just want to say, I hate the Jets more than any other team in football. Hmm. Honest to God. I hate, them more than New, I hate them more than the New England Patriots. And the reason why is because of that ass clown named Rex Ryan. If Rex Ryan does not take a Mark Sanchez-led team to two consecutive AFC championships, that dude is working at ESPN four years sooner than he should have been. He doesn't get another job in the NFL. He doesn't get hired by the Bills. And, you know, Terry Pakula and Kim Pakula don't make the worst mistake that this franchise has made in a long-ass time. But with that, Jeff, give me one of your keys to victory on the offensive side of the ball. Well, it's it's hard to say this week because, you know, we don't know how much the starters are going to play. This is kind of an, an – unexciting game you know we don't know how much guys are going to play like I said game doesn't really matter you know but I'd I'd say I'd say try I said earlier in the pod today that you know if you're going to try something out this would be the week to do it and I'd say I'd say you know pull some strings you know try out some things that you're going to want to use in the the playoffs and, and use this game to get ready for the postseason you know you don't have to know who you're going to play in the wild card round, but use this game to kind of test out some things on your offense. You know, maybe if you want to, I don't know why you change your game plan from what you've done all year, but if you want to, if you want to pull some new things out, maybe some things you've been sitting on, try it out here and, and, you know, get Allen some good reps and then get him out. I think for Christ's sakes, do not get anybody hurt. Yeah, please. If you approach this game, like it's any other game, I, my gosh, I'm going to be more infuriated then than I was with the clock with the clock managing against the Patriots. But my first key to victory on the offensive side of the ball is get yourself in favorable positions. Like you mentioned, Jeff, this is a very hard game to kind of predict because you don't really know how many stars will play, which stars will play, how much they'll play. But regardless of who is in there for the offense or the defense for that matter, get yourself in favorable positions. Like I was talking about earlier, the main deficiency for the Bills offense this week was they were getting themselves in, in favorable positions. You know, lack of success on first and second down really led to them having to overcome and dig themselves out of holes against a good defense. Now, I'm not saying the Jets have a comparable defense to the New England Patriots by any means. I think that place is a shit show, and I think that team sucks. But with that, I think my second key to victory is do not beat yourselves. No matter who is in the game, this is a key to victory. You cannot fumble. You cannot throw interceptions. You cannot do, have stupid penalties. And you certainly cannot have a stupid penalty at the end of the game after the Patriots just took the go-ahead score, Jordan Phillips. But with that, what are your defensive keys to victories, Jeff? I think the same thing as offense, you, you know, get some good reps in, get some good reps. I don't think, I don't, I think you're more concerned about winning this game than I am. You know, I mean, it's great to be 11 and five as opposed to 10 and six, mm-hmm. but you know, get some good reps in and establish the line of scrimmage. You know, the Jets still have Le'Veon Bell. I know that he hasn't had the season that he would have liked or a lot of other people would have liked, but they still have him. They still have a young quarterback who's a solid player in Darnold. So, you know, establish the line of scrimmage and just rely on your secondary like you have all year. You say I'm more concerned about winning this game. You sound like a lot of Bill's Twitter and Bill's Facebook suddenly being experts on what a losing mentality is. (laughs) You know, in my interactions – I'm just kidding, by the way. In my interactions – a lot of people suddenly became experts on a loser mentality. And I had one dude say F you like straight up. I was just like, why are you so mad? Like, why was it? We talked about it earlier, but regardless on defense, I think you need to confuse and harass Sam Darnold. He is a good player. 
I hate Sam Darnold. I thought he was the most overhyped quarterback coming out of that draft class. Personally, I felt that Baker Mayfield was the best quarterback. Now, with that, neutralize the line of scrimmage, win the line of scrimmage, and neutralize Le'Veon Bell's production. I'm not dismissing how good Le'Veon Bell is as a football player. I think he is a phenomenal talent. But that offensive line is downright atrocious. And I, don't, I, I think regardless of who the Bills put in there on the defensive line, who they're rotating in, I think the Bills have a mismatch in this game. And when you win the line of scrimmage, Jeff, you, you know, you and I both know you win the game. It's 100% correct. Now, with that being said, I want to introduce a new segment on the Overtime Podcast. We're just beginners. We're just introducing new things every week, seeing if it works. Who is your X factor to this game? Who is going to be the difference maker in who, win- and who wins and loses this football game? I'm going to say Frank Gore. I think you have to limit – I think they're going to limit Devin Singletary's touches. You don't want to go get your rookie running back hurt in a game like this where, like I said, it doesn't really matter. Obviously, you want to win – but you turn to your 36-year-old running back, rack up some yards, who's tough as nails. You know, I think beating the Jets, if you're not going to use Allen that much, beating the Jets relies a lot on establishing the run game. Mm-hmm. So you throw your bruiser running back in there, and if he rushes for 100 yards, I think you win easily. And I don't think that's out of question to say that Frank Gore can, win for, can rush for 100 yards, excuse me. Well, I, think that's, I think that's very within reach. Bill's Mafia will love my X Factor. Because it seems like this is the number one receiver the Bills have been missing all season. And it seems like this is the guy that is going to be the receiver for this franchise for a very long time. Duke. Duke Williams. Williams. That's my X factor this week. That's right. I think that Duke Williams practice reps with Matt Barkley on a weekly basis is going to pay dividends in this football game. I think Duke Williams being hungry in this football game, considering he hasn't been active since the Miami Dolphins visited the Bills after their bye week, I think he's hungry, and I think he's hungry to ball out on a starting unit defense that, you know, the Jets, they don't necessarily have anything to play for. Eh, This is their Super Bowl, essentially. So I think Duke Williams is hungry, and I think he's ready to eat against this Jets defense, and I am all for it, considering I hate the New York Jets, and I would love, I would love Duke Williams to moss Jamal Adams. Wouldn't that be a sight to see? It would be something. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's an interesting thought. Him working with Barkley is an interesting thought. You know, I hadn't even thought of it that way. I, what, how, I mean, how much of the game do you think Barkley will play? Half? Oh, honest to goodness, if it were my way, he'd play four quarters from the first drive to the last drive. Yeah. But realistically speaking, I think there are some nuances, some little things that you don't want to mess up, some things with routine. Okay, you know, the Bills are going to have – a playoff game in which they're going to be traveling the furthest they've traveled all season, aside from the Dallas game. That is the farthest they will travel. That I mean, the Bills travel the least amongst any team as far as distance from home to away goes. No West now, Coast trips. You don't want to get out of rhythm. I think you should play Allen. You should treat it almost as if it's a, as if it's a week one in the preseason. Play him for one or two series. Get him a few rhythm plays. And, you know, let him hang 14 on this trash-ass team in the first quarter. Yeah, like I said, I think you should get good reps in. I think that that's important as far as, like you said, establishing or, you know, continuing the rhythm that they've been in all season. Um, you know, you, you and you can't make your players look at this the same as they'll look at a big game like the New England game or the Steelers game. You, it's just not in human nature to do that. But, you know, I think McDermott will replicate as, as much as the same as every other week as much as he can because we've seen that from him. And that's what I've been saying as a compliment about McDermott all season is he's had the whole, you know, one and all, zero and zero mentality the whole season. And I really like that. And it's, it's shown that they haven't had any real letdowns this season. I mean, the closest they've had to a letdown is the Browns game. And still, you know, you're not going to win every game you should. It's the NFL, you know? And, you know, a certain individual I was engaging with on, on Facebook, I think, continuously call this team a bunch of losers, continuously said that this team cracks under pressure, continuously said a variety of things that implied that the Bills are the same old Bills. Stop it. Stop it. I think this is a good note to end the show off with, so I want to talk about it after we get into our predictions. Jeff Ubino, who do you have winning, and what is the score this week? Well, I think that McDermott will still insist on doing enough to win the game, even if that means not playing his guys the whole way. So I'm going to pick the Bills 24-17, to same score as last week. Ooh, you and I have really close scores. I have the Bills winning 24-13. to There we go. Stay tuned for next week. I'm just going to tell everybody that we're going to introduce a new point system 
that's going to be a tad bit more competitive, have a tad bit more on the line as far as scores. I felt like the score predicting is kind of redundant since there's really nothing on the line. But we're going to do that all throughout the playoffs, see how we like it, see how it feels. And you know what? Maybe do it next season. But with that, I want to close on this note. Everybody is so mad about that New England loss. And you know what? I think there are – Jeff Univino and I, we get it. Okay? Because that team has pissed on the Bills for our whole lives. Our whole lives. We have never witnessed the Bills walk into Gillette Stadium and beat Tom Brady. And you know what? You haven't seen it a lot in the last 20 years either. You haven't seen a lot of teams do that. That's a damn good football team. Whether Tom Brady's 42, whether he's 22. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever do it. Bill Belichick is the greatest coach to ever do it. It is hard to walk into that stadium and win. I was astonished when they said on the broadcast the record that they have in that building. 120-some-odd wins and 22 losses? Holy smokes. That's ridiculous. And then the postseason record, too. Six to seven teams losing that building every regular season. The Bills losing to the Patriots? Folks, where have you been the last 20 years? Lift the rock over your head if you are throwing things at the wall, ripping your shirt off about the Bills losing, being all pissed off. I understand it's, this isn't a loser mentality, but have realistic expectations. The Bills going down to the wire with two of the three best teams in football this year is indicative of how this team has grown. Look at how the Bills played the Patriots in week 15 last year. Look how the Bills played the Ravens in week one last year and compare that to now. If you cannot admit the growth in this football team, the growth in the coach, the growth in the quarterback, then you're a goddamn clown. And I'm sick of, I, I don't defend anybody. These are my opinions and my opinions alone. And I'm typically not an apologist, but apparently now I've adopted this loser mentality. And hopefully I can rep this with pride as we go for our playoff push. You got to stay off Facebook, man. That's a dangerous place to, if you're a media member arguing with people on Facebook because there's a lot of people on Facebook. More oh. so, more so than I get the whole, you know, Twitter bot thing, but Facebook's dangerous territory. Twitter's fun. I don't think half of people that argue on Facebook the last 10 minutes on Twitter. Honest to goodness. <laughs> I agree with you. But here at the end of the show, Jeff Uvino, please tell the people where they can find you if they so choose to. As always, you can find me on Twitter, R-E-A-L-J-U-V-E-I-N-O. My name is my Instagram handle, J-E-F-F-U-V-E-I-N-O. And be sure to follow the Cold Front Report on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. That's at Cold Front Report on Twitter, at Cold Front Report underscore Bills News on Instagram, and Cold Front Report colon Buffalo Bills News on Facebook. And you know what? Be sure to follow Greg Thompson on, on Twitter. That's G-R-E-G-T-O-M-P-S-E-T-T. And follow Cover One as they, they have some of the best content in the Bills media community. And I'll leave links to everything in the show notes to follow Cover One, find their website, find their Slack channel. It is excellent content over there. They are good friends of the show, good friends of Cold Front Report, and they have some excellent people working on their stuff. And if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on, tw- you can find me on Twitter at CFRCLAYTON. You can find me on Instagram as well, the same exact handle, at CFRClayton. I have content coming out just about every day. My Twitter, I mean, you can see me bitch about people saying that the Bills suck, but Other than that, it's just a daily routine. And with that, thank you all for listening. Have a happy holidays. Have a safe and happy holidays if you're traveling. And have a Merry Christmas. Thank you all for listening. And this has been the Overtime Podcast presented by the Cold Report.